Welcome to Claim the Stage, a podcast for women who want to discover, awaken, and create their voice through the art of public speaking. I'm your host, Angela Lucier, award-winning professional speaker, author, and CEO and founder of The Speaker Sisterhood. Welcome to episode 127. On today's show, I'm interviewing Sandra Costello and Stacy Every, who happen to be members of the same club, Northampton Mass, which was a club I used to run. And I love these speeches that you're going to hear today. I actually got to hear Sandra deliver her speech live in the club, and I was so thrilled when she submitted it as one of the speeches for our new book, Secrets of the Sisterhood. This is part of a four-part series all about our new book, Secrets of the Sisterhood, coming out November 29th. And if you haven't heard about it yet, our book is a compilation book of speeches submitted by Speaker Sisterhood members, and they are broken down into themes of love, truth, and power. So without further ado, I will share these speeches with you and some interviews, and you'll get to hear a little bit more about the stories behind the speeches. Here are Sandra and Stacy. Sandra, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad to be with you. So you've been on the podcast before. Yes, I'm when, a little bit of a podcast celebrity. You are. You've done like everything with Speaker Sisterhood. <laughs> yes, I yes. think you, you're the you're an ambassador. You've been a member. You are a member. You've been a club leader. Yes. You're also the official photographer. Yes. You're the person who thought of the Speaker Sisterhood. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am your number two member. Which really means I am the shit. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, I'm so glad to have you on this this special series about Seekers of the Sisterhood because you have two featured speeches, or do you have three? I have three. You have three. Okay, yeah. yeah. There's three. You have three featured speeches in the book, and I want to have you read one of them here today, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. So I'll stop talking, and I'll give you a chance to read your speech to our audience. Thank you. So the title of my speech is the life of a speech. I really don't want to do it. I never do. I sit and think and write down a few words, and then I let out a bunch of sighs. (sighs) Then I begin to type. I don't even have to type the entire F word into my browser. My computer knows where to take me. It knows I'm feeling frustrated and unable to move forward, so it brings me to my favorite place of distraction, Facebook. The place that makes me laugh, cry, angry, and depressed. The place that almost always makes me forget the task at hand. It's almost like day drinking. I'm sorry, what was I doing? Oh right, I was writing a speech. I close the window to Facebook and start the process again. What do I want to talk about? What's my theme? Do I have a goal? Did I remember to call my eye appointment? I'd really love a new hat and scarf, something in blue. Did I take the laundry out of the dryer? 30 minutes later and I haven't written a thing. Gosh, I'm hungry. I think I'll make a snack and a cup of tea, which I never get to right away. So I'll have to pop it in the microwave to warm it up. Okay, I think I'm ready. Maybe if I set a timer for 30 minutes, that will give me a goal. I'll just keep typing for a set amount of time, and that will get me launched. Ten minutes in, and I'm thinking about a photographer I really love. 
Is she still shooting? And if not, is she still sharing photos of her body? She has an Instagram account, and that, that would make you think she's one of the Kardashian sisters. And as much as I hate the Kardashians, I love to see what they're up to. So I log into Instagram. I check out her photography account, and yep, she's still shooting. Oh, and look, she's, she's posted about the wedding I shot with her about five years ago. It was a good thing neither one of us knew we were photographing famous war photographers, or we would have been so stressed. Instead, I threatened to punch one of the couple's many photographer friends if they didn't back off. I was kidding, sort of. They didn't back off. I didn't punch them. I should make sure I still have those photos I shot with her. Let me check Dropbox. I could post about the famous people there or the bride's amazing wedding gown. OMG, it was to die for. When does a bride ever wear a pale pink and black dress? The dreamiest dress I have ever photographed. Okay, the photographs are there. Phew. Back to my speech. Tap, 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 tap. First paragraph down. Tap, 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 tap. First paragraph revised. Tap, 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 tap. Second and third paragraph down. A text message. It must be my sisters chatting about their workouts. I check. Yep, it's them. I chime in. No, I haven't worked out yet. I'm writing a speech. I turn off the volume. I keep writing. I'm on to something. I keep writing. I'm cold. I get my fleece. I keep writing. I turn on the gas fireplace. I keep writing. I need a caramel. I need a second caramel. I keep writing. I need to shower. <sighs> I'll do it later. I keep writing and rewriting. It's getting there. Okay. Here's the place where I need to make a point. I'm finally grounded. Why did it take so long? And with that question, I'm ready to hop onto another distraction. But I don't because I've tired myself out. I'm like a dog that's run so much it can barely keep its eyes open. Except I can finally keep my eyes focused on the prize. Finishing my speech. I have built momentum. I have the power to steamroll my judgment and high expectations. I can keep going because I finally have a foundation and a few funny lines. I have a beginning, a middle, and soon an end. I feel like the guys in the Dukes of Hazards when they gain enough speed to fly over the bumps in the road. I'm finally soaring, and I see the end. So that's it. Keep moving. No, really. Just sit down, get started, and keep moving. And when you tire, you'll finally say what you really want to say, which is, it's hard to start when you're afraid. Afraid of failing, afraid of being liked, afraid of telling a story others want to hear. What would you do if you weren't afraid? What would you do if you couldn't fail? What would you do if every speech was a spirited experiment in sharing your words?
What if I asked myself these questions before writing my speech? Perhaps the process and the outcome would be very different. I would run to my notepad. There would be a waiting list to give speeches at every club meeting. We would know ourselves really well, and that's always a good thing. So feel all the things and then hunker down. The life of a speech is part of the journey and always worth taking. <laughs> Thank you. Thank I you. I love that speech so much. Oh my gosh, it's so fun to read. <laughs> do you ask yourself those questions now when you write a speech? You know, I do on occasion. I do on occasion. I think the time that I ask those questions are the times when I'm feeling most stuck. Hmm. You know, when I'm feeling like this has got to be the best speech ever. And just that expectation can really send you in, into a tailspin. Mm -hmm. So how do you break that up and how do you ease the pressure? And I think just asking those questions like, how can I be creative? How can this be told from a totally different point of view? What do I have to lose here? Like, let's just go for it. And I think that that helps in those times when you're struggling to get started. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed that your speeches have a different tone now or a different flow ever since you've started asking those questions? Something happened to me probably shortly after I wrote this speech. And it's not necessarily about the questions, but it is about my whole attitude in approaching how I select words to say what I feel. Hmm. Yeah. And you know what else? I'll tell you the other thing. We had a meeting and we talked about this simple, simple idea. Tell your audience what you're going to say, then say it, and at the end, come back around to recap what you've said. That is so easy. <laughs> I mean, it's as easy as that. Yeah. And I find that that equation for me makes it much easier to sort through how to write my speech. Awesome. Yeah. So what made you want to tell this story? <laughs> <laughs> so I do feel that writing speeches can be challenging. And I don't think it's just in the writing. I think it's in the starting. Mm -hmm. For me, I, I do a really good job at finding distractions <laughs> when I feel stuck. And that was what was happening when I was trying to write the speech. Like I couldn't get, like I wasn't lubricated. I wasn't like juiced up and ready to go. And so I thought, man, I do this every single time. Why don't I write about the process of writing a speech and how, how we can take a really long time based on distractions, not on the actual speech writing. And it made me think about Jerry Lewis who was this slapstick comedian. And I used to watch him when I was younger. And he would do this, he did this one number where he was like typing on the typewriter and he would like throw back the cartridge and it would ding. And it was this whole like, it was almost like an orchestra. It was sounds and it was motions and it was this whole thing. And so as I was writing this, I was thinking about I was thinking about him and the dings from the text message and the tapping of the keyboard and just this whole like, what do you call it when things are like kind of mayhem? It's like slapstick. It's just, it's one thing after another, but somehow it feels organized. Mm -hmm. huh. 
I was listening to Gretchen Rubin, you know her, she uh-huh. wrote The Happiness Project. She yeah. has a new book coming out and it's about order and decluttering and just different approaches to organizing your space. And she has a term that she coined called procrastinating. <laughs> <laughs> and she said that a lot of people, like if they have to write their annual report, well, first I need to like clean this bookshelf that hasn't been touched in three years. And, you know, they'll come up with all these things to procrastinate. And it reminded me of this speech because mm-hmm. it's, you're not alone in finding all these other things that need to be taken care of right away. Like, did I get my clothes out of the dryer? And, oh, I need to have a snack and I need to. And so it's a very common thing getting started. And how do you get that energy out so that you can just sit down and do the task? And I love the way that you documented it because I think everybody listening, while they may have different things they do, can totally relate to, let me just open Facebook and let me just like make this appointment and (laughs) do all these things first. Well, I have to say that I learned a great deal about myself after I wrote this speech because I can be a procrastinator and I feel as though I'm more tuned into that inclination and I want to try to understand why that happens and it's usually when I'm scared or unsure or I just have really high expectations of what the task is and I need to just bring those expectations down so that I can have fun with it and really just begin. Just begin and stay focused. Yeah, that's that's the, the big piece, getting started. Mm-hmm. Did you have any fears around sharing this story? No, no fears at all. I really wanted to write a piece that made people laugh and connect to. And, you know, my only fear might have been like getting those little ding noises in place. I was actually looking for some kind of audio file that I could purchase and I could just keep pushing that damn ding noise. But other than that, I really wanted people to laugh and I wanted folks to feel relieved knowing that they're not the only ones that are struggling with making a speech happen. Mm-hmm. And, and any difficult work, really, because I think you could insert any kind of creative project into this the speech and people could say yeah that's me <laughs> totally I I totally agree I mean I looked at this and I was like man this is every day at the at the desk I mean it's like I don't want to get started but I gotta go right <laughs> yeah yeah what has telling your stories done for you oh my god that's a really big question Angela <laughs> So when I first started with Speaker Sisterhood, I had some change in my life, and I really thought I, I wanted something new to sort of kickstart me. I was curious about speaking in front of groups, and it wasn't like that was a new idea for me. At the time, I was like, oh, this seems so novel. Let me check this out. I have always been interested in speaking in front of groups, and I have done it over the years, but... I have backed away from it because I've been busy. Running one's business is a lot of work. And I decided that I wanted to I wanted to connect with people in a way that I hadn't done in a long time. And the idea of becoming a part of Speaker Sisterhood was a beautiful way to, you know, dive into something that had always been a part of me. And What I didn't anticipate was how much I would learn about myself. In the three years that I have been involved with Speaker Sisterhood, I have not been as happy as I am in my life right now. And it makes me kind of teary, which is the opposite of being happy, except that they're happy tears. I have been so surprised with how much 
speech writing and connecting with my fellow speaker sisterhood folks has done for my heart and my soul. And, you know, people talk about meditation, they talk about journaling, and I really do believe that those two things make a huge difference in grounding yourself and finding yourself. But I never thought speech writing would do the same thing, you know, would, would also allow me that, that chance to get to know myself better. I mean, I feel like the Speaker Sisterhood has allowed me to grow my business, grow myself, solve problems, come up with different solutions. It has allowed me to not sweat the small stuff, take things off my to-do list, to speak my mind, to decide who I surround myself with. I mean, those are major personal development tasks. I don't know, whatever you want to call them. All of those have happened so much easier because of being a member and writing speeches. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that is obvious when you think of joining a public speaking club. Like those are all the benefits. But this is more than just about public speaking. Yeah. <laughs> this is about self-exploration. This is about creating community. This is about this is about starting your life in a whole new way. Yeah. Does that sound epic or what? <laughs> totally. <laughs> Anyone listening right now, if you have thought about joining Speaker Sisterhood and you haven't done it yet, what are you waiting for? <laughs> You're going to start your whole new life. Yeah. I started right now. Yeah. Or after you get your stuff out of the dryer. Or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I was brushing my teeth this morning and I was thinking about the, the speeches you submitted for the book and how good they were. And I was wondering, does Sandra think of herself as a writer? And I wonder... At this point, now that you've written so many speeches, you're going to have your speeches published in a book. Do you think of yourself as a writer? Well, that's a, such an interesting question. I was at a conference earlier this month, and and the the woman who runs the conference started talking about the word artist. And, and I think of the word artist and writer in a similar way, because I don't attach myself to either one of those titles. However... However, I do, I am working on claiming both of those words more than I ever have in the past. I have thought of myself as a photographer, but not as an artist. And I've thought of someone who is, you know, I've thought of myself as someone who is a good writer, but not a writer. And I will just state right now for the record, I am claiming both of those words. So there. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, and you're not alone. Those are two triggering words for so many people. Even people who write books, they would they would say, I'm not a writer. Then what do they call themselves? I guess an author because it somehow is more... Technical? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's more technical and less like claiming the creative piece of it. And even the word creativity, like, you know, there's a member in your club, Dana, who talks about creativity all the time. And it's such a triggering word for so many people. Yeah. So I think you're right on about artists and writer being in the same category. And like, you definitely should own that because you are both of those yes. without a doubt. I'm going to have to get pins, yeah. you know, that I wear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'm going, I'll look at your shirt. And a beret. Yes. Oh, my God. Maybe I'll put the pins on the beret. Yeah, that's the that's the outfit. Yeah, that's the look. <laughs> the uniform. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to share about the speech, about your membership, about anything? Hmm. You know, I knew that some of these questions were going to be asked of me, and I did 
kind of sit and write some things down. That's kind of like my way of of getting my brain ready to answer these in the most authentic way. And the one thing that I thought about that I've been thinking about a lot lately is this idea of storytelling. When I was younger, in elementary school, I can actually see the auditorium. And I remember that half of the auditorium had rug, and there would be storytellers that would come in. And I can remember so looking forward to those kinds of events. I also grew up in an Irish family, so there was lots of storytelling happening. And so I've always been surrounded by it. And I didn't necessarily think of myself as a storyteller, but I absolutely am. And it brings me great joy. And so when folks start to think about this idea of public speaking, it's very easy to think it has to be technical, it has to be dry, it has to be serious, it has to be professional. Like all of these words that I think take away from the creativity of really diving into what a speech could look like. Mm -hmm. And so as I thought about you and I having this conversation and what speech giving and speech writing and being a part of the speaker sisterhood meant to me, I thought about this idea of being a storyteller and how important it is to tell stories. I can think of so many occasions in which a good story changed everything. I was at a conference this past Friday and one of the speakers told the story of her, her life with her husband and during her marriage, he passed away suddenly and what that felt like and what that looked like. And to be in that moment with her during the joyful times and one of the most painful times in her life was really moving. And I think it reminds you of your own humanity and that alone really brings people together. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that being a public speaker, even if it is just to your family every day, has so much importance. And it is an important job. Definitely. And, and you hit the nail on the head. That's the reason why I wanted to create this book. Because these stories are so compelling and inspiring and they, they bring up so much in the audience. And I've listened to hundreds of speeches from Speaker Sisterhood members. And all I could think was only the 15 people sitting in this room will ever get to hear this story. We need to get this out to the world because it could help so many people if they just hear the story and they hear themselves in the story. And I love what you're saying about the power of storytelling because it's so true. Mm -hmm. And it's what connects us. And it's what reminds us of who we are and what we're capable of. I feel the same way every time I'm in a club and someone gives a speech that just blows me away. And what's always interesting to me is when that person says, was it okay? <laughs> I know. And I think, was it okay? There are tears rolling down my face, either from, you know, laughing or otherwise. And, and I think this is a really amazing, important message that you need to make sure everyone in the world gets to hear. Mm -hmm. Because like you say, it could be life-changing, even if it's just for one person. Yeah. And one of the things I love about our clubs is when the speaker gets up to give the speech, she gets to ask for the kind of feedback she wants. And I remember a couple of years ago, a member who was very quiet in the club, she she was very hesitant to raise her hand to, to give a featured speech. She got up, at, I think it was maybe her second or third speech. And when we asked her what kind of feedback she wanted, she said, well, I guess I just want to know 
do you like me? And everyone in the room just like, I know I got shells when she said that, because I think at the heart of what we're doing is that's what we really want to know. It's like, do you like what I'm saying? Am I helping you? Am I saying something that is connecting with you? And she said it in the most raw, like from the heart way. And it just made me like kind of melt a little bit. And I immediately (laughs) loved her for asking that question. And then her speech was so beautiful. And at the end I was like, I love you. (laughs) And everyone else in the room felt the same way. And, but I think, I think Angela, that is the, that right there is the nut, right? That is the piece that I think holds us back so often. Mm-hmm. It holds us back from getting started and writing the things that are so meaningful to us because we want to know that we belong and that people care about us and that they think about us. And it may seem like a little thing, but it is everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's really that the core of it all is like that question. Do you like me? And <laughs> yeah. can, we, can we be together in community and celebrate this? Yes. And all of us just wanted to give her a hug, you know. I want to give her a hug. (laughs) Give me your number. (laughs) You know. Well, thanks so much for coming back on the show. It's so great to see you. I remember last time we recorded in my kitchen and we were crying in there too. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's me, Angela. It's me. Um, It's great. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for having me. This has been the highlight. This has been the highlight of my life for the last three years. And every time I get to share that joy makes me need to grab a tissue because, you know, it's emotional, but I, I can't imagine not having this in my life. It has, it has made me into the happiest, most joyful, most expressive Sandra. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Stacey Every, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I was really looking forward to talking with you because you submitted a couple speeches for our new book, and I love both of them and they both made it into the book. And the one that you're going to read today is one that really stood out to me because it just has such a relatable message and the way that you tell the story is so fun. So I'm excited for you to share it with everyone. But before you do, can you tell us what you do professionally, why you joined Speaker Sisterhood and how long you've been a member? Sure. So I'm currently a massage therapist. It's a second career. I used to be a high school English teacher before I had my kids. And I also joined a business group, networking group, where I had to get up and talk every morning, every week. And it was so incredibly stressful and difficult. And a friend of mine had joined your your chapter in Northampton and suggested that I do it. It took me like a year before I was brave enough to join. That was in 2016, I joined the, or no, sorry, uh, seven, no, it was later than that, 17 or 18, I joined the chapter just to help me deal with my business and just, and then, and I, I knew I had so much fear around public speaking. I really wanted to try to tackle it. So this has been super helpful and super fun. All right. So let's jump into your speech, which is kind of a funny way of, of, of mentioning because your title is Taking the Leap. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphors and, abound. <laughs> yes, exactly. So read your speech and then we'll talk about it. Okay, great. The Scattercoke Fair in upstate New York is a classic country fair with animals, sugary fat fried foods and rides as big as can be hauled to the next festival. 
my mother, my sister Mindy, my three children, and I wandered past the basketball games where the hoops are smaller than standard, loaded down with cotton candy, fresh-squeezed lemonade, and fried pickles. As we pushed our way through the line for ice cream, Mindy tapped my shoulder and pointed up. High above our heads, a boy about 10 years old stood at the edge of a platform with no railing, looking down at one of those giant pillow stunt people used to not die when falling off crazy high places. I watched in horror as he jumped off the edge and landed on his back with a big poof. I want to do that, announced my sister. My sister Mindy is the coolest of aunts. She has no kids, dotes on mine. She's lithe and blonde, fit and beautiful, and at the age of 45 has made a hobby of getting herself carted. Lacking a partner or children, she has time for this hobby. Then there's me, a middle-aged divorced mother of three who's asleep by 10 on Friday nights. How boring I am, I thought. I should try new things. So without letting my brain get involved, I said, I'll come with you. And we marched off to the retirement-aged man, seated under a tent with a stack of papers, fresh from the lawyer's office. I continued not thinking as I handed over my $5 and filled out the paperwork, promising not to sue them if I were injured or dead. As I mentioned, I'm afraid of heights, like honest to God fear. The month before the fair, my family toured beautiful waterfalls in Maryland. They were magnificent, I'm sure, but most of the peaceful wonder of the place was lost on me because crazy people were walking along the top of the first waterfall. I had a minor panic attack and had to look down. The spray, at least, was gorgeous. So at the fair, next, a cheerful woman in a bas- baseball hat made us sit on a chair, lift our feet off the ground, and hold our arms out like an airplane. The falling position, apparently. I had questions. Wouldn't I concuss myself on the platform? Or land too far, feet first, and break my legs? She waved me off and shoved us up the steps to the platform. At the top, a skater dude standing next to the open space took our tickets and said, who's first? My sister looked over the edge. My muscular, beautiful sister, who spends hours a week lifting weights, hiking tall mountains, and kickboxing, looked up at me with wild eyes. I can't do this, she said. Seriously. I sighed. Years of being a mom and a big sister bring on reflexive responses. I said, how about I go first so you know you're not going to die? Okay, she said and ran around behind me. The skater dude who looked around 17 smiled at me with that annoying, confident air of someone who's done this a million times from a much greater height and thinks he's never going to die anyway. Whenever you're ready, he drawled. I looked over the edge. We were 20 feet in the air, but it seemed so much higher, especially with my glasses off. Part of my brain yammered, don't do it. The fear squeezed my chest and throat, and I felt nauseous. My body was racked by an almost pain, as if the brave part was straining to jump, while meanwhile, the yammering part had hijacked my thought processes, converted fear into rationalizations, and started listing, in logical detail, the reasons we should not leave. I had three choices. I could try to convince the yelling, frightened animal that we would be okay, or I could let the fear translate itself into rationalization and not jump, or I could ignore them all and just leap. The rational part of my brain had already decided this was a safe way to experience falling, but I wasn't positive, and so the fearful animal brain could still send me into overwhelm. I stood there. I heard the yelling. I felt the almost pain. And then I metaphorically turned away from the voices and the pain, and I jumped off into space. And it was fun. The falling felt exhilarating, and the big poofy thing was so big and poofy, I could not have been hurt. That split second taught me a powerful lesson. The world is full of scary-looking things. You can't be sure most of them won't cause some kind of pain. 
Until you do something scary and survive, you're absolutely never going to convince the fearful or rational part that it's a good idea. Those parts are immune from your logic. They will happily use your brain to rationalize their own fears, but the converse is not true. Logic has no effect on them. It turns out that confidence is weighing the risks, choosing the path, deciding you're not going to die, turning away from the voices of fear and jumping. Don't fight with them, they'll win. Don't reason with them, they won't believe you. And it's all time wasted not jumping. Confidence is the decision made, the action executed, abdicating control, and seeing what happens next. The world will be a little different afterwards. If I had decided to jump again, the animal part would be silent. Now it knows the exhilaration of falling through space, the rush of adrenaline, and a sweet marshmallow landing. And maybe those most deeply frightened parts will just trust my decisions that much more, become that much more healed, and more likely to say jump the next time I stare over the edge. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I love that speech so much. Thank you. I, I enjoy reading it and telling it, actually. And uh, it's cool and it's all true and it's all really my story. How long ago was that? This happened not this past summer, the summer before. Ah. And would you say that approaching risk now, you think about this story and it helps you? Or I really do. It was that moment on the edge when I was standing there. And it wasn't until, I got to say, it wasn't until afterwards that I was processing specifically for the speech that I wanted to tell, that I realized the, the metaphor of it and also the parts of my brain felt so distinct. You know, there was this part of me that was saying, oh my God, you're going to die. And it was so clear that wasn't true. Yeah. But and so it's some other part, right? Just the, the, the frightened parts of me and probably all of us are not you know, they, they're their own little entity. It's like our animal self, you know, the one that only is looking for survival and doesn't have a lot of subtlety in its thought processes. So, so now that I know that voice exists, I, I recognize it more. You know, I can hear when it's, oh, it's that voice talking. I'm not actually going to have a problem, right? When I, if I try this scary thing, that's just that part of me that's, that's afraid. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's super helpful. And are you still afraid of heights? I am, but it's not so intense. Like it's more of a, Oh, yeah, I don't want to fall off this. That would be bad. And but that I used to have like a real, it was like survival terror, you know, like oh, the I'm going to die feeling versus a, I don't want to be damaged. And so I'm going to be careful, you know, like a, a more reasonable fear versus the, that intense panic that you get when you have a, that fear of heights. I don't have yeah. that anymore. Do you think that this story and this experience was what made that difference? It definitely, it definitely shifted my perception of heights and my perception of myself as you know, someone, I'm just a person who's afraid of heights. Well, no, I have a part of me that's afraid of heights and she can be, you know, she can in fact be healed in some way by having this experience and process, going through the process and thinking about it. Definitely it shifted that part also, that animal part, mm-hmm. what which is great. Like- it's, it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. What made you want to tell this story? Well, my first, you know, when when you want to give a story, when you want to tell a story, I can you know, go I go through my life and think of the things that happened to me, and it, and this was it felt more like just a funny story. And I wanted, oh, this is a funny story. I'll tell this really funny story because my sister and her her fear and my fear and oh, aren't we funny? We were so scared of heights, but you know. So it was the comedy that drew me. But then when I started digging at it and poking at it, I realized oh. 
this is really, this is a great metaphor. And this has so much, it's so rich with teachings and, and experience and learning, learning something so important that I was even more enthralled with this story once I started parsing it and, and putting it down on paper. Do you find that that happens to you a lot once you start a project, you can get into it, you start to realize that maybe there's so much more to it, whether it's writing a speech or, you know, doing your work. Like I've heard you give speeches about your massage practice and what it has meant to you and how it has transformed you. Do, do you say, would you say that's like consistent in your life? Absolutely. You know, there's so few opportunities in life to sit and for lack of a better term, you know, analyze what happens to us. You know, we have our experiences and life is busy and I go, okay, that thing happened or I'm, I'm going to work or I'm doing this thing. And it's not often that we, I, I anyway, stop and say, oh, so this thing happened to me. You know, what does this thing say about me? What, does, what did I learn from this thing? You know, how can I take this, you know, what, what did I learn and how can I move forward with it? I just tend not to think to do that. I didn't anyway. And having, but having speeches where, you know, since each speech was a principle, it forced me to encourage me to think of my life in terms of principles rather than just the mundane, you know, moving from point A to point B. And it turns out that almost every experience I look at, I can see a, 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 a greater principle that I'm applying either my, my values or my, what I want from life is being applied to everything I do, even if it's unconscious. So it makes a lot of sense from so many different perspectives to be, bring consciousness to that and be aware of what I'm doing and not just stumbling through my days, but knowing what I'm doing, why I'm doing it and how it's, how it's making me a better person and how it's making me happier as I you know, do learn from my experiences. And it also just helps consolidate. Like I learn things and it's more consolidated when I start poking at the stories of my life. Yeah. And so speech writing becomes a way of processing your experiences, not just reflecting on them. Absolutely. Did Absolutely. you have any fears around sharing this story? <laughs> the one fear I had was the comedy. I really, I thought it was funny and that was a funny story, but I've never been terribly impressed with my own ability to be funny. I don't think of myself as a particularly funny person. And I really wanted that, the funny to come through when I told it. And, you know, there's nothing worse than trying to be funny and people just looking at you with a blank, blank stare, you know? So I had some fear around the trying to be funny and not succeeding. And so that, that was actually, that was the piece that was the most fearful for me. Cause I've had, a, and I've had other speeches where I, I guess I talked about things that were, I felt more vulnerable about and the, that's its own kind of challenge. And I, that it wasn't the vulnerability piece for this particular speech. It was the, it was the comedy actually, but you know, but, but speaking about things that are vulnerable, it's always been, it's always worth it. I mean, that's the best, the best storytelling comes when we're vulnerable. Yeah. And there are many points in the story where I laughed, but when you were reading it, I didn't want to interrupt or, or laugh <laughs> over you. So I was like laughing in my sweatshirt <laughs> to try not to you know, distract the person listening. But I, yeah. when reading the speech, it made me laugh too, because you do a really good job with the timing and the way that you oh, good. wrote each sentence. It just, it creates humor. And I wanted to mention that when Speaker Sister had first started, the first curriculum had a humor speech in it. And that was everyone's scary speech because they're like now I have to be funny I'm not funny. oh uh-huh. what ended up happening is that they just were vulnerable about that and it made it funny because everyone could kind of see their awkwardness and their attempt at being funny and everyone had their own way of doing it so it was funny 
but I yeah. ended up taking that out of the next, the secret life of speaking up because it created this like <laughs> riot, you know, around like, <laughs> what, am I, what am I, a stand-up comedian? I'm not here for that. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't realized how widespread a, a discomfort that was. That's, that's the only great thing about Speaker Sisterhood is you find out that, boy, are you not alone? Like all the fears we might have, we're so not alone in those fears. I tell you, I had no idea people were afraid to be funny and I just thought it was my problem. So it's really nice to hear, actually. Yeah, it's very common. So what do you Hi. hope that readers will get from this story? Well, it's the piece I was saying before about our brains having this part of, is the part of our brain that, kind of seems to do its own thing and, and is immune from logic. And that, you know, I was always such a thinker my whole life. I really thought I could, you know, smart my way out of anything I put my mind to. And it turns out that there's other, there's parts of our brain that don't really respond to that, you know, that don't respond to smarts it doesn't, or logic or, or reason. And that, and just, I guess, being more aware of all the parts of ourselves, that there are parts that are so deeply afraid for, for reasons we can't logical way. And that, and that we have other senses to, to just jumping off into space. I, I trusted, I trusted my instincts to some degree that I wasn't going to die. You know, I, I, as I said, I couldn't be sure I wasn't going to get hurt, but I instinctually felt that I was probably okay and took the leap. And so when we, we do those things, when we go ahead and do something that feels so deeply scary or potentially damaging, we do them anyway. It's incredible how you feel on the other side of that. Like, I mean, and we can take risks without jumping off of high places. There's so many places in our lives where things feel risky and we're not actually going to die. It just feels like we're going to die. And so, and that's what public speaking is about, right? Like we you do it anyway and everything is just so different. Once you've, once you've done it once, it just shifts everything so, so easily. And, to, and so just, I guess the, the takeaway is to A, you know, realize that logic isn't always going to work and that the, there are parts of your brain that are dictating how we behave all the time and they get, they get their free run if we don't, aren't conscious of them. And C, to go ahead and you know, find, hell, find things to do that feel scary and do them because it's such a rich and experience as well as it helps. I, feel like, I really feel like it helps our brains to heal also, those parts of us that are afraid. Yeah, definitely. You've mentioned mm. a little bit about what membership has been like for you from the standpoint of writing your speeches and, you know, recognizing that you are funny. And is there anything else that you've learned about yourself or that was different from what you expected when you joined that you've gained from it? I think it's been an interesting exercise in irrational fear. You know, I as afraid if I was of heights. I was even more afraid of public speaking and people are always, I, and I felt ashamed to say so because, you know, I was a, I was a high school teacher for goodness sakes. And people are like, what do you mean you're afraid of talking in public? Like, it is so not the same thing. It is so not the same talking in front of a bunch of kids where you're the expert and everyone's younger than you and knows less than you is a whole different thing from talking in front of a bunch of people who you know, are potentially wiser and funnier and smarter than you are and feel like you have something to say. And so and that was actually a huge piece I realized going through this process of writing speeches was learning that I didn't think I had anything useful to say. And it wasn't clear in my brain that that was a problem for me until I started writing speeches. I thought, who wants to hear this crap? But, you know, we all have, of course, we all have something to say. We all have our very individual experiences that no one else has had. We always have, we have that wonderful combination, all of us, of that being extreme individuals who have a very specific experience with life 
but we all, all within the same principles as each other. And we all look for love and for power and for confidence and all the things you talk about in your curriculum, but in our own specific way. So, you know, we all have our own angle. We all have our own facet. And it was so deeply rewarding and healing to, to really like internalize that message. And no, I do have something to say. And people enjoy hearing it. And I enjoy, it grew to enjoy telling about my facet, you know, my own experience of, of life. So that was, I'd say, probably one of the hugest pieces that Speaker Sisterhood did for me was uncovering that understanding of not wanting to talk about, you know, not thinking I was, you know, I had stories and we all have stories. Yeah. And every speech I've heard from you, I've loved. I love the way that you tell your stories and the details you share. And they're and they are always funny. And and I just oh, I'm glad that you're telling your stories because they need to be out there for sure. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's only been it's been lovely. <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to share? I guess I touched on it earlier. The thing I want to mention is that self-perception can really get locked down. You know, like I, I had this idea, I am not funny. I am a bad public speaker. You know, I am afraid of heights. And so many of the self-perceptions we have are just, they're, they're not who we are. They're all habits. You know, they're all like, I, we get in the habit of thinking that we're bad public speakers or, but actually it's, I am a person who is afraid to speak, or I'm a person who hasn't practiced speaking enough to get good at it in public. You know, it's that any, everything's a skill that we acquire. There's so many, so few things about us are, are just, are fundamental. You know, I, I am a, you know, I am the, I am afraid of heights. I'm a, I'm not a good artist. I am whatever those things we have for ourselves. So just being aware that, if you, there's something about us we want to change, man, you can change it. And just takes, it just takes active will and practice. That's such a powerful message too. And I think so many people have ingrained beliefs about themselves, whether they've been told by a parent or a teacher or a boss or friends that they think, well, that's who I am. And you're right. Mm-hmm. You can change that it's just by committing to it and doing the work. And it's not easy, but it's definitely worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't mean to diminish the, the difficulty of it whatsoever, but, and it's, it's one thing I've been, I found in the speaker sisterhood so invaluable. It's a place to explore exactly that thing where we can, and just the public, because once you start realizing you can acquire any new skill, you know, one new skill, then it just becomes applicable to across the board of all these new skills we can acquire. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. It was really great to have you read your speech and also learn more about the story behind the speech. Oh, again, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed my time here. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and found some inspiration and a couple laughs. I know that both of these speeches have some good humor in them and are, you know, reflecting upon your own choices and things that you do, especially when faced with a big project or something scary to do and you feel like procrastinating or maybe just having a quick cup of tea. And then before you know, two hours have gone by, I could definitely relate to (laughs) everything in Sandra's speech. And uh, Stacy's speech as well, you know, about facing those fears and realizing it's not as scary as we think if we just try it. So if you have any ideas for upcoming episodes or guests you'd like to hear on my show, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at Angela at speakersisterhood.com. And if you like what you hear on the show, please leave a review on iTunes. It helps more people to find us. And that's always a good thing, especially if they need public speaking advice or if they want some inspiration around finding their voice. 
So that does it for me this week, guys. As always, stop waiting, start creating. I'll see you next time.